Welcome to the IBM Interconnect 2017 podcast series. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and we're coming to you from sunny Las Vegas in the United States of America. I have the pleasure of being here for this podcast with Dr. Bob Hayes, PhD. Now, I'm going to just quickly introduce you, Bob, and then I'm going to throw a question to you uh, to kind of introduce yourself. So your profile online describes you as the chief research officer at Apuri. I'm going to ask you about them soon. Uh, you have a PhD in industrial organization psychology. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Your online presence is called Business Over Broadway, which I had a really good look at last night. I read all your blogs. And the website for that, by the way, if you're listening, is businessoverbroadway.com. Check it out. Some great reads there. Uh, you also listed your key interests, uh, and I'm going to rattle these off because they're, they're fascinating. Customer experience and customer programs, in particular the delivery of those programs by the sounds of things. What works now in best practices based on evidence, which I, I, I really want to delve into in a minute. Big data and statistics and getting value out of data, and more specifically machine learning. Uh, and in other words, I think you call it stats on steroids. So Bob, welcome to the podcast. and. Uh, How's the show going? You having fun? Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me on this interview. I, I really appreciate it. And it's been great getting to know you over the past uh, three days because I've known you online for, I think, a couple of years, three years. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I, get, I finally get to meet you. So it's, it's been a pleasure. And Thank it's you. great being here. I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of nice people at IBM and, and beyond and their partners. And I, I've, I've been loving every minute of this, of this experience. That's great. I, I think we, we were talking about this earlier on. I'm just going to quickly throw it in. Um, for me, I, I get the sense of the IBM events that we tend to have more of a human focus, more people focus. And I, the, the, the World of Watson event last year, which I was privileged to come to, uh, and, and this event, the thing I found is I'm connecting with people, whether I know them online or just met them here. And I, that's a really unique experience of the last few events I've been to. So, Bob, if you were going to introduce yourself to a complete stranger, and I know it sounds weird, what would that sound like? <laughs> well... I'm going to keep this clean. Okay, please do. So, so uh, what I would tell them, I think, is I really enjoy data and analyzing data and how people can get value from data. Not just people, but businesses. Any, any way you can kind of get... In fact, in fact, what I love to do is just get data from either you know, free data on the web, data.gov, and start playing with it and see what I can find out. And what's, what's interesting is that you can look at a sea of what seems like a, a random sea of numbers... Right. Then put structure to that and get insight out of that. And that yeah. For some reason, that really turns me on. And I've noticed this in Australia, and I know it's a global phenomenon. Um, are you finding there's just so much more open data, and the data is openly available that you could? You, I mean, you can tap into postcode data, weather data. You don't have to pay for any of it. I mean, in Australia, we've got an open data uh, framework that the the federal and state government agencies are now legally required to comply with. So any data they can make open, they have to give it away. And I know there's a similar uh, uh, policy here or plan here. Have you put that? How have you put that to use? If you have, or sure, I, I've I've done a study. I did a study a few years ago on looking at. Uh, data from from uh, Medicare, and okay. what they do is they collect patient satisfaction data on all U.S. hospitals that they give the money wow. or they give money to. Yeah. And so what I did was I created a, a visual map of all the hospitals in that database across the United States, and color coded them: green is good, red is bad, so forth. So you can like hover over that map, a Google map, and see and essentially get your patient satisfaction ratings for your given hospital you attend. So if you're going to if you live in Seattle, for example, where I'm from, you can compare all the hospitals in that city and see which one maybe is best for you. You can look at their 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 pitch satisfaction ratings, their their health their health metrics, 
their process of care metrics, a whole host of metrics they have on, on various maps on my website. So it's pretty cool stuff. And, wow. and what I really like is the, the data science experience that IBM has, they also allow or provide like I think 180 data sources you can actually import into your, your modeling. They do, yeah. So and it's growing every day. Exactly. Uh, and I think last time I logged in two days ago when we first got here and had a chance to play, someone actually had a graph example, an example of a graph database that someone had just put out there and I jumped online while they were at the talk and, and replayed it because uh, it was just the URLs there. And I noticed from the time I logged in at the start of the talk to the time I logged out, there's another eight different data sources available I could plug into, which, you know, and I think that's the, the power of these tools now, because they're open source tools, because the data is sort of there and it's open, uh, if you build something and you want to collaborate with the world or collaborate with a team, you can just share it and put it out there. Exactly. Um, so this leads me nicely into kind of what we were talking about before, which is kind of what I refer to as your aha moment for this week, your, your kind of eureka moment. Um, you mentioned that um, there was something in particular with, with something we went to yesterday uh, that just really grabbed your attention. What was that? Tell us about that. Oh, wow. I saw uh, Rob Thomas. He's the, the general manager for IBM Analytics. Correct. And he, he presented his talk on their data science experience. And even though that's a, a cloud-based platform, they made an announcement yesterday that they're going to be offering that uh, on your desktop. And that really excites me because I think, I think a lot of businesses are kind of wary of putting their data on the cloud for security reasons. Mm. Maybe they, yeah. they're not an IBM partner. So if you could, IBM can give them that, that experience on the desktop and have them play with their own data and within their walls, build up trust, eventually that database is going to grow and they're going to necessarily need to go either to a hybrid approach or right to the cloud approach. And, I, yeah. and I'm just excited to actually get my hands on that tool. I think it, it comes out in April. Yeah, it, it does, yeah, in general release. But um, uh, as you saw last night, um, Rob Thomas actually tagged us both in a tweet to one of his teams saying, uh, Bob and Des need a copy of the preview, right? Which <laughs> I nearly fell off my chair and I know Me I'm sitting too. behind yeah. you. So I was just as excited. The other thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on was uh, Rob talked about the transition from uh, in the cloud to on-premise and what will be some stuff they're announcing soon around private cloud. And the thing that I, I noticed was when they when he deployed the app itself, it was deployed from cloud onto his desktop. And in this case, he used a Mac, but I'm sure it was the same with Windows. So I get the sense that they're now going to have a lot of these tools that were originally cloud only become right. packaged up and brought down. Because, I mean, we saw a live demo of installing it, which was pretty brave, but I think it was like, what, three minutes at the most while he's talking? It was so like quick and easy. Bang, done. Yeah. So quick and easy. And think about what's behind their stack, right? So it's probably a, you know, a cut down Hadoop and, and Spark and, and R Studio. Uh, Python right. or some version, probably two or three or both. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's got say Jupyter notepads. I mean, that uh, notebook. Sorry, that's a fairly complex stack to build in anyone's language in the cloud. To put it on right. a desktop and in a single double-click whatever installer. And we watched it live. I, yeah, I shared that aha moment. I think it was really exciting. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I am excited. My uh, my twin brother is actually a data scientist also. No way. Yeah, he works for a large company in, in Seattle. And and one of his one of his problems is that you know is it's hard for him to get. The, to use tools like this because they're all cloud-based. Right. So now when I go back in, home and tell him, he's going to freak out. I know he will. <laughs> That's outrageous. I'm very excited to tell. That. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds <laughs> of two geniuses in one family? Um, okay, so part of the format with this is that when we get to this point in the podcast, uh, I want to throw a series of, of things at you for rapid-fire 30-second responses, if that's okay with you. Sure. So the three that I'd like to hit you with are um, things that have just leapt out of me from this particular event uh, at the um, IBM Interconnect 2017. Uh, number one, enterprise strong. Number two, data first. 
Uh, you'll notice I used an American accent with that, not data first. Uh, and number three, cognitive to the core, which, which I, I'm a, a real fan of. So in 30 seconds or less, if you wouldn't mind, rapid fire, just off the top of your head, take away sort of sense of what you've gained from this event. Enterprise strong, in your language, what does that mean? Well, to me, enterprise strong means your solutions have to grow with your company and, and the data it can generate. You start out small, you know, you can use those in-house, like the data science experience on your desktop. You just can use that. But as you grow as a company, your data will necessarily have to grow as well. Bigger, faster, more complex data. And enterprise strong means it's, it's going to be able to handle all that workload as, as you expand. Fantastic. Perfect. Um, that's a tweet in itself. Uh, number two, data first. And I know this is a real passion for you. Um, and and you, I think you've got a, a screenshot of... of um, one of the demos we saw yesterday, which I'd love you to talk to in a bit more detail. So maybe first just a quick rapid fire 30 second thoughts on it and then we'll wrap back uh, to that for a bit more detail. So data first in 30 seconds. Okay, well, to me, and uh, maybe to many other people, data are useless unless you do something with it, right? Yeah. And you can, by something, I mean you can apply analysis to it or some kind of methodology to extract value from it. And what the data first method does, it gives you kind of a general guideline of how to approach your data. If you want to make a solution, IBM Data First Method gives you a step-by-step -step process of you know, posing a problem, testing that solution that you yeah. built, and then deploying it, and it's a, it's a cycle from, you know, you, and you iterate on that. You have a problem, build a solution, you, you self-correct, you implement it, and so forth. And it's, I, I like that idea that, because Oftentimes, people get kind of like lost in the in the weeds of all these different tools that are available to them. Yeah. What they need is an approach of like, how do I get these tools together and get value out of that? And I think the data first method is a good approach that lets you do that. And I think yesterday when we were there with our demo, they they effectively uh, tagged it as an agile methodology for data. Yeah? Exactly. Is that what is that how you see it? Yeah, I, I see it. I, to me, I, I look at the data first method, and I like it because, it, to me, it reminds me of the scientific method, mm -hmm. where it helps you think critically about your problem you're trying to solve. Right. Because like, when you analyze data, you don't just analyze it just to analyze it. You want to solve something. Yeah. In the scientific method, you, know, you start with a problem statement, you generate hypotheses, you gather the data to uh, test those hypotheses, yeah. and then you either deploy an algorithm or or communicate the results to the executives who make changes uh, to yeah. your business. Yeah. And just like the data first method, it gives you some structured approach on how to do that. And I like that a lot because mm. oftentimes people are just lost with the tools that they have at their disposal. And they don't know where to start, right? Exactly. No, I, I agree with you totally. And I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, third one, cognitive to the core in 30 seconds if you can. Just your general sense of cognitive well, to the core. To me, it means like using analytics in all aspects of your business. Right. Uh, from, from coding your data, to analyzing your data, to deploying models. You need to, every, every system on this planet can be defined with numbers, right? We are a quantified world. And the way to get value out of that is to, is to apply analytics. And since there's not you know, a million data scientists in the world, we need to rely on machine learning abilities yeah. to just automatically yeah. give us those insights. And to me, that's cognitive to the core. Fantastic, I, that's a really great rep. Um, I'm really keen to get a bit more insight to you. Mm -hmm. um, what, what would you say drives you? What, what's your greatest passion in life and work? Uh, and could you perhaps share a little bit about what you're working on at the moment sure. in that context? 
Sure. Well, what drives me is, you know, first of all, always be nice to people and also try to help people get more value out of the data that they're given, like, or even the information that, that comes across their face, right? We're, we live in a world of fake news now, and, and I'd like to be able to give people the tools to think critically about information they're given. Um, and, and that's what excites me. That's why I, whenever I, 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 you know, at the conferences, I share my ideas, but I also share the, the, the results of my studies that I do. Right. I want to base my opinions on things that are factual yeah. and things that I've, I've done. For example, a year and a half ago, I did a study on data scientists to understand what is data scientists, uh, what do they do, yeah, and yeah. what is the practice of data science? And so, and I wanted, I did a series of blog posts on that, articles, it was well received, and now I'm working on, on best practices and customer experience, customer success programs. You know, a lot of pundits say like, oh, I wanna, you should do X, Y, and Z to have a really good program, but I wanna be more rigorous, mm-hmm. so I did a study to identify, you know, companies that are, that view themselves as, uh, top-notch versus those who don't, and I want to understand how they differ and how they structure their, their customer programs. And what I found was, here's some, some results that I haven't yeah. told anybody yet. Awesome. Like, Exclusive. I like exclusive. it. Exclusive. <laughs> For example. <laughs> Let's have it. If you want to succeed in your customer experience program or customer success program, you need a data platform because those companies who use that have higher loyalty for their customers. Also, and this is great, use machine learning to get insights. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, like not, not every company has a data scientist on board. So how are they supposed to get value from their data? Yeah. Well, if you give them the tool, if you give them this tool, the machine learning tool, that just tells you, you know, which customers are about to churn, which ones are just a good opportunity for upsell, yeah. you know, they can decorate their, their Marketo or their Salesforce application with an information, reach out to those, those people who, are, who you know are at risk yeah. and, and take action. And um, also, another one is that companies who are more successful tend to have access to data scientists and data professionals. And that makes sense to me because yeah, if you yeah. don't, you, you can't get value from your data. And those who can get more value from the data are apt to make better decisions to drive their customers forward. But also, which was really interesting, is that analytical leading companies actually focus their analytics on customer-facing issues. So they analyze data to understand the customers better, to increase customer loyalty. Analytical, analytical lagging companies mm-hmm. tend to focus more on internal facing processes like cost reduction and resource allocation. So if you want to you know, get value from your data, make sure you're analyzing data in a way that affects the customer relationship. It makes you understand the customer better. No, I like that. There was actually, I don't know if you've read it, if you haven't, I would love to share it with you. There's a paper that was published by IBM probably five or six years ago at least uh, under the, the, the title of The Era of Smart. And mm-hmm. it was... It, preceded the whole analytics and big data uh, thing. But what they did is they took data, uh, financial data in particular, performance data from about 4,000 companies around Australia, fed it through the Australian uh, School of Economics and said, just tell us what insights you can gain. Mm-hmm. The executive summary was like 75 pages, so it was, it was a tome, right? Right. Um, but there was one line that, that you just reminded me of that I, I wanted to throw in there um, and get your thoughts on, that was what they found was that companies that leverage technology and, and take advantage of technology early get such a competitive advantage over their competitors that invariably their competitors don't actually catch up. And I think that kind of goes to what you just said, and that is that if, you're go, if you've got data and you've got those data assets, essentially treat it like an asset uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and put some KPIs on it and give it a value and put it, even put it in your balance sheet if you want to. Um, and, and if you can gain some competitive insight from that, then you are quantum years, leap 
years right. ahead of, of, of leaps and bounds ahead of your competitors potentially who are not even thinking about it right and, and I think that's kind of what you just summarized then and, is, and that's obviously what you're seeing from both your research and your, your day-to-day practitioner that's exactly uh, right applying that science yeah? that's, exact, that's exactly right yeah. if, if you're able to extract insights and get value from your data at a you know, in an earlier like a year earlier than your competitors yeah. you are so far ahead yeah. if you're if you already know the value of not only descriptive analytics but uh, predictive and prescriptive you are seriously light years ahead of your competition yeah. if they're still stuck with just looking at at run charts or little like monthly metrics if that's all they're looking at yeah. you're, you're going to win as, as a competitor well it, in fact um, we we covered it earlier in another discussion this morning where uh, we talked about the difference between a company that that turns up with printed copies of colored PowerPoint printouts and pie, pie charts or whatever, graphs, histograms that were like a month old or last month's performance data trying to make decisions on next month versus someone that turns up with a large format tablet or an iPad and is getting real-time mm-hmm. uh, uh, dashboard analytics on what's happening right now. So whilst they're sitting in a meeting for sales and marketing or in the boardroom, they can actually see the pulse of the business right now. And, and that's such a competitive advantage in my view. Uh, and I, I th- you clearly believe that based on what you just said now, that, that it's, it's almost impossible to put into words. You have to show people the benefit of real-time information and the finger on the pulse of their own data and their own performance and their own business. And particularly around the customer experience piece, because we've seen this whole celebrity experience thing come about now, where people have kind of, through the smartphone and the internet, have wrestled control of their data back and wrestled control of right. that, that, that customer experience now, such that people talk about the celebrity experience, right? Um, what does that look like in your world now? I mean, you've done a lot of work around the whole you know, CX space. Do you think people um, have come to grips with it and grasped it yet and understood it's a requirement? Or do you think they've missed that boat? Uh, what's the general well, sense around the... I mean, in your local market, North America right. in particular, because you know, you've got a very rapid-moving economy. Well, that's a very good question. The, as my role in Chief Research Officer at Apuri, you know, our goal is to help our clients identify... Uh, which customers are going to churn, yeah. opportunities for upsell, and so forth. And although our clients can appreciate that, they have no idea how to do that. Right. And, they, right. and so, so my goal is, my role there at Apuri is I, need to, I want to educate them on why you need us to help you do this. Yeah. We, we have awesome data scientists, awesome customer success managers, a great staff of people. And, and, and I want to communicate to them like why you need, maybe not us, but why you yeah. need machine learning to yeah, leverage yeah. that. Because yeah. your customers are going to have higher and higher expectations <laughs> about you know, service delivery because your competitors are, are giving you that, right? Yeah. That's, and that's, if you don't keep pace with that, you are dead. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, and, and just history. I mean, if we look at some of the companies that just didn't, you know, AOL, for example, with their email and you've got mail, I hate to say it, but the mm-hmm. reality is they didn't pivot when the internet came along. Yes. Right. And, and they supposedly caught up now. And we've seen that everywhere. And yet we've seen the companies like Uber and um, Airbnb and others where, they, you know, Uber doesn't own any taxis. They're a data company. And yet they blitz the taxi industry, right? You know, Airbnb. I mean, this story goes on. There's lots of them. You've got um, Apple and Google who, who are the biggest software companies in the world. And they don't actually write the software. It's all the data. Um, I want, to, I want to just quickly circle back if we can before we run out of time. Um, there are some key event themes that, that we spoke about before we, we kicked off here that you mentioned that you were interested in just uh, covering, and I'm really keen to get your insights on them. I'm going to just quickly cover them uh, and then come back to them. So the first one was the concept of making data simple and accessible to the world. Um, the second one was empowering people and teams in new ways on platforms like the data science experience, and particularly uh, when they're going to have the blend of 
um, you know, kind of the bimodal mode, if you like, uh, on-prem, off-prem, and particularly on the desktop. And the third one was the Watson Machining Learning, uh, the Watson Machine Learning Service, or Watson Machine Learning in particular. Um, if in a couple of minutes, if you could just give me a wrap up on each of these. So, making data simple and accessible for the world, in in your own words, in your own mind, what does that actually mean in in plain English for people listening in? Right. Well. To me, it all comes down to machine learning, really, because if, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not educated on statistics, yep. then you really can't make very good decisions looking at data. And what machine learning will help you do is it'll do the hard work for you and give you the insights you need. And that's what makes data accessible. If, if you can have a right. tool like IBM uh, Watson who, that can do that, yeah. that's based on machine learning, it's amazing. I was, I was privileged enough to be at the IBM Watson release a couple years ago. And I remember watching them with natural language processing. You yeah. can actually just type in a question of your data, like yeah. what's what's yeah. the biggest driver of sales, and boom, it'll tell you based yeah. on your own data, yeah. and visually with numbers. It was fascinating. My jaw literally dropped open. It was. Uh, me, I was yeah. amazed. I had the same experience. I looked at it and realized that this had lowered the barrier to entry to the point where there was no barrier to entry because. Uh, and we saw it with H&R Block, in fact. Uh, we spoke about this earlier mm. in a separate conversation this morning. But H&R Block, with their demo yesterday at the keynote, uh, and where the, the CEO uh, stood up and showed what they'd done around um, applying Watson. And the bit that really grasped me, based on what you just said there now, was the tax consultant just typed the question in plain English. Right. How many cars have you got? Uh, what, how many rooms in the house? What are the it was just plain English questioning, but it could have been done in any language, right? It could have Correct. been Mandarin, it could be Spanish, it could be Italian. Watson has the ability to, to, to grasp the domain, domain knowledge on each language. But the demo is, you know, how many rooms in the house or something to that effect. And, and it immediately changed the graph in front of the person, the consumer, so they could start to see the, the dollars and the numbers change. And so I think you're right. And in my view, I think the barrier to entry has been lowered so far that it's almost non-existent. For those who've got access, I guess, and that's the big challenge, isn't it, is right. how do you provide access to them? Right. Point number two, empowering people and teams in new ways on platforms like the DSX. Now, you sort of, you've covered it in general, but maybe right. focus on, on what, what does it actually mean to empower people and teams? And, and I guess teams in particular, I'm really interested in with the collaborative piece that, that we've heard a lot about. Um, again, in your own sure. words, what does, that, what does that mean to you and, and what you're doing in day-to-day -day practice? Well, based on, on my, my study of data scientists about a year and a half ago, I found that, that data science, the, the term data science is pretty vague. Yeah. If you ask, you know, you get 10 data scientists in a room, you ask them about their skill sets, they have entirely different skill sets from each other, right? So you need to know that yeah. about, about the data scientist. So whenever somebody tells me they're a data scientist, I always ask them, so like, what's your skill set? Yeah. Um, and what I found was that you need uh, different kinds of skill sets for, for the one problem. And so, for example, there are basically three kinds of data scientists. There's the subject matter expertise, yep. who knows the content domain. For example, if you're running business, you need a business expert. If you're trying to you know, have a data on cancer, you want an oncologist yeah, on yeah. your team. The next, the next kind of data science you need is a programmer or developer, somebody with, with the technical skills who can get access to the data. And finally, you need yep. somebody with, with stats and math skills who can actually crunch the data and make sense of it all. And so, if you, so the data science experience allows you to work collaboratively across you know, different kinds of data scientists yeah. who can focus on a given problem. That's like, you know, you can share data sets with your team, you can share results with your team, bring other data sets, and that's the power of, of the data science experience because it brings different data scientists together to solve one particular problem. And it yeah. turns me on. When I, I, like you, I had the privilege of um, uh, 
pre-release early adopter access, and and the thing that I accidentally realized was I pulled in some data. Just it actually took my LinkedIn CSV export all my contacts, and then I started just using it with a couple of little Python scripts I'd written to go and just look them up and update the details, and then just graph it and see how often people were logging in and updating the contact details, or you know new jobs, whatever, and. Uh, and then I started poking it at people's Twitter feeds and seeing how often they were posting. And then I realized, hang on, I'm talking to all these different data sets in and out of the platform. I've loaded something in there and then I'm plugging the external sources. And then what I did is I shared it to a friend of mine and said, you're a better Python scripter than I am. Can you get the graph to do this? And it was about a day later I realized, hang on, he doesn't even have an account. I just gave him access to the URL and he edited the text box where the code was, but didn't have to have access to the data. And wow. it was one of those epiphanies I was like, I did it, I didn't realize it was good. And so I actually wrote this blog last year, which I think you saw was, I, I described the DSX as kind of the webmailification of data science, right? Because it was right. as easy to use as, as webmail. Um, and and yeah, like you, I can't wait to, to get it on the desktop. I'm excited. The, I, I, I also, yeah, I, I think you and I need to work together on a project because you have really good technical skills that I've never seen anybody have. The, the, the two kind. The stuff I've, I've seen you do during IBM Interconnect, also blew my mind. No, thank that you. Somebody can do these things like, like on the fly. <laughs> it blew my we mind. We will definitely Seriously. do some things together. I love to work. And with we'll you. blog them and have lots of fun. And I'm sure IBM would be grateful to sponsor them. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so maybe we'll do it with the third topic. So, so what's in machine learning? Um, and we've talked about machine learning in a general sense. Um, would you better just drill into kind of the machine learning itself? I mean, you know, it's available as a service on the Watson data platform. Mm -hmm. um, but if you in, in plain English going to explain to somebody, let's imagine a, a young school kid says, what's machine learning? What does it mean for a non-technical, non-data science related person that's outside this domain of, yeah. or sphere of influence? Um, because it's, it's a really powerful concept and in many ways it's a simple concept, but often the simple things are the hardest to explain, right? But yeah. I think if anything, if you don't mind, I mean, you're probably the sure. best qualified I've met sure. to, to explain what machine learning really means in, in a couple of minutes. Sure. Um, it's funny. Machine learning, it, machines don't actually learn. Sure. Actually learn. It's yeah. it's the it's it's the way to build algorithms that help you model what the data are telling you. So you feed the computer a bunch of data, right? Uh, and the, like I think the most popular uh, algorithm used. This is based on a Katie Nuggets survey. Is regression. So you have yeah, a, I read that. Yeah, you have a bunch yeah. of predictive variables. Yep. You want to predict an outcome. Yep. What you do is you feed this this computer, you know, a bunch of data with that those variables in it, and then it's going to model that. It's going to tell you which predictors are the best predictors of this outcome yeah. of, that, yeah. that's interesting. You're interested in. You can do, that outcome could be a continuous variable. It could be a dichotomous variable, like churn, no churn. So the machine learning is a way to, to help you identify which variables are predictive of your outcome. And that's called uh, supervised learning. Yep. Another kind of machine learning is unsupervised, where you just give it data and you say, for example, like a factor analysis. You just give it you know, 20 questions that are on a survey, and you say, how many clusters do these questions form? Like, mm -hmm. or, or how many mm -hmm. constructs are being mm -hmm. measured by these 20 questions? And based on the correlations among all these variables, it'll tell you these are the, the pockets of variables that kind of hang together. Yeah. And yeah. so that's unstructured because because you're not telling it how to how to form these clusters. Mm -hmm. It's saying these clusters exist in your data. Yeah. So it's just it's just telling it's it's teaching your computer uh, it's teaching you what's real, what's not real. It's showing you structure out of your data. Whether it's 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 uh, it's supervised or unsupervised, it's pretty powerful stuff. And like I said, yeah. it's just stats on steroids. In fact, yep. in fact, my advisor 
uh, in my PhD, right? So I do fact analysis with IBM SPSS. I push a button and yeah. it's done, right? It just for, for his dissertation, he, he basically did machine learning on a calculator. He did a fact wow. analysis for his PhD with, with <laughs> matrix rotation. It blew my mind. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was his dissertation. Nowadays, you do it with the push of a button. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not really machine learning. It's just supplying statistics to your data and yeah. giving it, the more data you give your, your algorithm, the better it's going to be. And I think one of the things that um, I often struggle to convey to people when it comes to the, the core concept of machine learning is it's kind of like a, there's a feedback loop in many ways. Right. And that is if you take an algorithm, and it's kind of like the, the chaos theory in the Mandelbrot uh, graph, right? right? That if you take the same thing and you just feed the number through it over and over, you get this beautiful right. graph that you can continue to dive in and out of, and it almost goes ad infinitum, right? right? One of the things I love doing is taking a really simple algorithm and applying it to a data, finding things like outliers and working out why are they an outlier? Why is this thing way out to the left-hand side? And why is this right at the top? And then you find out, oh, it's just bogus data. I didn't wrangle it properly versus actually that's, that's a... 63-year-old person who should not be doing this 10K run. Um, but then also feeding that back into itself and continually training it to, to, to right. refine and refine. And that's the thing that really excites me is that you can build a really simple model, a simple algorithm, and the more you run it over the, the, the same data set, the more to learn about it, the better it gets at telling you what you want to find. And the thing that ex uh, you touched on one key point, um, which I'm going to just quickly dive into for my, my own purposes, is that... Um, when you talk about uh, making data accessible, I, I see machine learning as something that's gonna be under the hood and, and buried in the guts of the machine. And so most consumers won't ever really touch machine learning directly. As you said, it'll be the push of a button. And I think that goes through everything that we build. Um, now, as a, you know, when we talk to Siri, we don't see the, the pseudo AI behind it. It's just text-to-speech, speech-to-text. So, um, and I think this is where machine learning is probably struggling to get a, a mm -hmm. bit of a foothold in the brand and marketing because most people are never going to see it. They're never going to experience it other than just in the outputs and so forth. Right. So quickly, I know we're running out of time. I want to wrap up on a couple of quick things. Um, uh, what we touched on it early on, but I'd like to just circle back to it, particularly around um, the, the application of it. Um, for folks who couldn't make it to the IBM Interconnect uh, event this year in 2017 um, here in Las Vegas, if you could just in a minute or two give us your quick thoughts on the Make Data First method. Um, specifically, how does it help you get value from your data? So that method, that framework and methodology of, of sort of you know, going discovering the data and understanding it and getting insight. If, if you were going to paraphrase that for, for a key takeaway to wrap up in, um, in, in Agile sense in many ways, how would you paraphrase that to, to a non-commercial, non-technical person who's just trying to grasp the concept if they're listening in? Sure. I, th I think the, the main purpose of having the, the data-first method or using that method is that it'll help you kind of clarify up front what, what you're actually doing with your data. What's your goal? Yeah. You need to have a goal when you approach your data. With no goal, you will shoot aimlessly yeah, forever, yeah. and you'll be stuck in a cycle of just continuously analyzing your data. So you have to understand what is your purpose for analyzing your data, and go from there. And this work, they, they hold they hold a workshop for you for yeah. IBM, and they they help you clarify that. They bring all different kinds of, of uh, data scientists together or data experts together in your company. Like I said, you you. You need a team of data experts, the, yeah. the, the subject matter expertise, the, the uh, technology expertise, and the stats expertise. Get them in room together and, and start solving the problem, a problem. Not just a general, you know, let's get better, yeah. but are you trying to reduce churn? Yeah. Are you trying to increase revenue? Have a purpose and, de and develop 
a solution around that problem. I like that. I've actually written it down. Uh, I wrote down what you just said because I think I want to do a blog with it, with you on it. What is the purpose of your data? I think that that's the gem out of all this more than anything. Um, really quickly, because we're getting wrapped up, yep. um, and it is a pun, so forgive me, but what's on the horizon for the rest of 2017 in your mind from the takeaways you've had from this last couple of days here in, in, in IBM uh, Interconnect 2017? Uh, just the next six to eight months. I mean, sure. predictions annoy me not normally, but right. I can generally see sort of the, the 90, 180 day ahead. In your world, from what you've seen this week, what's on the horizon? Well, for me, and it's, and it's really always about me, really. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 That's why we've got you here. The thing that, that I take away from this is that I, I'm looking forward to, first of all, looking at the data science experience on my desktop yep. and sharing it with my, my colleagues at Apuri. And, and also, I w I'd like to look at that tool and see how it can Im impact data scientists. And then I want to design another follow-up study on data scientists to see if, if the use of these kinds of tools actually makes the data science team more productive. Wow, what a great line to wrap up on. Um, Bob, we've only just got to know each other in real life. No. Um, we've known each other for quite a while online. Um, it's been such a pleasure to do this podcast with you. I've had such a fantastic week with you guys. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks so much for joining me and thanks so much for your time on this. Thank you very much. Nice, nice to be here.